Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to series 9 of Monkey Tennis. As you may know, since 2016, we've been tirelessly dissecting, discussing, researching and celebrating the work of Alan Gordon Partridge, and we're fast approaching the milestone of 100 episodes. If you've been enjoying the pod, we've set up a Kofi page where you can show your appreciation and buy me or us a coffee. All you need to do is go to co-fee.com forward slash monkey tennis. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash monkey tennis. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, the audience. I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knights. Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a kid? Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate Les Dennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs! Lord Morgan. If you speak again, I'll physically hit you. And on that bombshell, monkey tennis? Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. Hello, friends, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we are now turning our attentions towards Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio series. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Did you ever see two girls kissing? Nick Older. Was that good therapy or balmy old cack? And Tom Stab. Whom? 
<laughs> so before we get into the episodes themselves, we uh, thought it'd be a good idea to do a little bit of scene setting in terms of uh, where Alan is and where the world is uh, around the time of the original broadcast of these Radio 4 specials. Yeah, Radio 4. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to say opening this, I'm feeling the pressure on doing this series. I think it's Knowing Me Knowing You, the radio shows, I think are the most requested piece of partridge output that we've had across the years we've been doing this podcast. Although that could partly be because we've done everything else already, so there's only one thing left to request. <laughs> yes, that is a valid point, but I mean, I think it's been requested from quite quite early on That's in true. the gestation of, of this uh, podcast. So, um, but you can just tell that it's so dearly loved by all fans of partridge, I think. Yeah, so it's time. We just want to go back, back to 1992. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there just yet, but... Uh... Okay, strip it back, <laughs> strip it back. It's a great start. Let's come back to 2020 for a second. What I was going to say was, before we go back forwards to 1992, um, when we announced we were doing this series, just the sheer amount of uh, the range of quotes that were posted from this show, like as comments and everything, just shows how how much people love this and like know the text really well. Um, and it also, just in terms of the pressure... It's the most cross-referencing I think I've ever had to do prepping for a series. Oh, God, kind of going yeah. back and forwards between kind of more current partridge and older partridge and what have you. Well, you you saw the photo that I shared in the WhatsApp group where <laughs> I had knowing <laughs> so me knowing you TV on. I had the book of Every Ready Word. I had the book of I Partridge. I was playing the radio show on my laptop and I had a cat on my lap as well. So it was a multimedia hub. Was the cat helping? Uh, no, very no, much of not. not. Um, so just uh, a few a few examples here. Uh, Brendan Hopper said, I think it's better written, funnier than Kimki Wap TV, which is, of course, great itself. It's brilliant that Alan's bitterness and one-upmanship is on full display with every guest. It has all the originality, quality and excellence we'd find in a show like Noel's House Party, but better. Peter Norris said, better than the TV show. Uh, Paul Alley said, it's so ruddy bloody good, I implore anyone who likes comedy to listen to it. It's so well written and perfect comedic timing. Hashtag organ malfunction. We'll come to that, I'm sure. And to be fair, I had I'd been quite dismissive about covering it. Not, I knew we'd get to it at some point, obviously. But I think the re- part of the reason we left it so long is I'd assumed there would be a huge amount of crossover with the TV. That it, I mean, yeah, same. We'll get into it, I'm sure. But you know, it's not only is there not much crossover in terms of jokes and material, maybe even less than we've seen like between the books mm. and Mid Morning Matters, for example, mm. or something like that. But also, there are there are big chunks that w- we'll come to in future episodes that actually complement the TV show very well. Yeah. Like you know, kind of teeing up guests for the tv show during the radio yes, run and things like that's that that's a good point yeah 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 um okay so i can now take us back to 1992 join me got there yet Yep, so uh, these shows were first broadcast for six weeks between the 1st of December 1992 and the 5th of January 1993 on Radio 4. Just to set the scene a little bit, uh, the number one album uh, in the charts was uh, Eurasia with Pop, the first 20 hits. My parents had that on cassette. I remember that being in the car. Great. And uh, (laughs) the number one single was uh, Charles and Eddie, Would I Lie to You. Absolute banger. I feel like we almost should have set this up like the start of his birth in I Partridge. (laughs) Somebody walked past the door. Charles and Eddie's just hit the ball on the hit parade, they said. And Chelsea are going to win the cup. (laughs) Uh, And by the end of the series, the number one album was Share, Greatest Hits from 1965 to 1992. And the number one single was, uh, perhaps appropriately, (laughs) Mr. Blobby. 
Amazing. <laughs> Absolute Edmund. This is all coming back now. I bought that share greatest hits on tape, believe it or not. <laughs> I and, thought you were going to say you bought uh, Mr. Yeah, Blobby then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which you no, blatantly did, did. Didn't buy Mr. Blobby, but I do remember a friend of mine was obsessed with Robbie Williams and uh, she. we went around her house for the Christmas number one announcement when people used to care <laughs> about us. And Robbie Williams got beaten by Mr. Blobby mm. and we and did she, she had a, she had a massive tantrum and her dad filmed it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I can give a bit of context around what was uh, number one in the box office charts at that time. So at the beginning of the series, so that's at the beginning of December of 1992, it was a film uh, called Of Mice and Men, which is based on the John Steinbeck book, which I must admit I was not familiar with. Haven't seen. Oh, absolutely, I've never seen absolutely it. a modern classic. Like Of Mice and Men is taught in schools. Oh yeah, it's a staple yeah. of schools, but I haven't the seen film. I meant more on the film front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, directed by Gary Sinise, you might remember him. Gary Sinise, what a night. Um, although I don't know how long it uh, stayed in the top spot, but shortly after that, uh, Home Alone 2 came to topple it, Great. and then the Muppet Christmas Carol. Charlie oh. argue is the best Christmas film of all time. Muppet's Christmas Carol? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Oh, I thought you were going to chuck Die Hard. No, your favourite one's bloody Batman Begins. No, Batman <laughs> Returns. I love Batman Returns, but Muppet Christmas Carol is, right, okay. is It's Muppet gold. Christmas Carol of that, there can be no doubt. <laughs> uh, and then uh, come the end of the series, it was uh, A Few Good Men with uh, Thomas Cruz. Classic. Uh, can I guide you through some key events of 1992? I thought, you know, this will be a bit of fun. Judging <laughs> some interesting facts, and it's basically things about war and riots and stuff like that. Um, 7th of February, 92, the Maastricht Treaty is signed, founding the European Union. That's a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, April, beginning of the Bosnian War. Uh, John, Ma- <laughs> John Major leads a Tory party to victory. Riots in LA. June, Sweden hosts the Euros, and it's won by Denmark. November, Bill Clinton becomes US president. December, Charles and Diana announce their separation. And generally this year is the first year that CDs outsell cassettes for the first time in the US of A. Wow. That is 1992. In a nutshell. Join us. (laughs) So just a bit of uh, show context. Uh, This was broadcast between On The Hour Radio, uh, which was uh, two series which ran from August 91 to May 92, uh, and the day-to-day TV show, which was January 94 to February 94. Uh, Kim Kiwap TV uh, was broadcast that same year, 94, uh, September to October. So we're kind of sitting in between two sort of staples or, or, or of, of British comedy um, and where sort of Alan began. But this is the first solo partridge vehicle. Uh, yeah, that's right. And it's been quite interesting going back and looking across all the different formats in which Kim Kiwap Radio now exists. Um, starting with the Every Ready Word book, which obviously has the scripts for... Um, as it says on the book, all the scripts from radio to TV and back. So it's got the original radio series, Kim Kibap TV series, I'm Alan Partridge series one and two. Um, I just thought I just enjoyed. There's the for, the foreword to this book uh, reads: Alan Partridge lives in a good part of Norwich with his girlfriend Sonia nearby. He continues to broadcast for Radio Norwich FM. He is currently writing a novel set in the future in which the whole of East Anglia is underwater. He has a son <laughs> Fernando, twenty six. And a daughter. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so that so that was published around the time of um, I'm Alan Partridge series two then, uh, I imagine. Yeah, I've got the paperback version here, which I think was a reissue in 2013. And Tom, you've got the hardback version there. Yeah, so I've got the hardback here, which was published in 2003. So mine's right, pretty right. old. Um, so this would have been brought, uh, sorry, this would have been published just after series two yep. of um, I'm Alan Partridge. Um, and we'll, we'll get onto it later. This edition, published by Penguin, so you'd expect it to be sort of, you know, pretty well edited, has got so many mistakes in it. We'll get to it, but it's absolutely littered. And my theory is basically oh. that this was... It It reads, basically, the errors read, having read along when I've spotted mistakes, listening to the audio, that this was almost written, dictated from the radio show. 
okay. it's so it, some. Well, I mean, we'll get into it, but like some of the mistakes are mind-boggling. That'd be interesting. I wonder whether they've rectified any of those in this later version yeah. I've got. Comparing anyway, we're kind of getting getting off on a yeah, tangent. Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing to say about this in the Everybody Word book. The episodes are in a different order to how they originally transmitted on the radio. So I think what we'll what we'll stick with as being the key text is the order in which they transmitted on Radio Four. Yeah. But in so taking that as gospel, in everybody word, the episodes the episode order goes episode one, then three, then five, then two, then four, then six. It's the same in my edition as well. Right. So they okay. Didn't that's it. interesting because I I mean and I think this is something we'll probably discuss as we go through. But I wonder. Why that? Why the books which came out years later would be in a different order to how things went on Radio Four? Whether that was supposed to be the original transmission order? I don't. I mean, well, judging by some of the uh, the errors that Tom Stab's talking about, it might just be some sort of weird, genuine mistake. Like they just didn't mm. think about it. But then, even more bafflingly, um, so in terms of physical releases of Kim Kiwap Radio. Uh, from the research I've done, I think it's had the following physical releases. So you had 1993 original cassette release, um, and then 1995, uh, uh, titled under BBC Canned Laughter, you had CD box, three CDs. 2001, you had a BBC radio collection, three CDs. 2003, there was a collector's edition with a four CD, so you got a bonus CD. Uh, another uh, BBC audio collection, 2008, record store day release of two episodes in 2015, and they reissued the whole series as a vinyl box set in 2018. But what I was going to say is with the 2001 CD release, because I remember buying this for a friend as a present at university, and obviously ripping it myself first because it was 2001, good times, mm-hmm. uh, the episode order there, CD1 has episodes 2 and 6, CD2 has episodes 3 and 4, CD3 has episode 1 and 5. And I remember that really bugging me at the same time because I think this would have been the first time I'd heard the radio shows is having those CDs in 2001, it's very clear that episode six is the last one because he talks about we're, yeah. we're, we're in discussions for a second series. But that basically, if you're listening to the CD box set, that's episode two. Absolute madness. And I, I don't understand why they've done that. I have, a, I have a theory, but it still doesn't really make sense why they wouldn't just follow what broadcast on Radio 4. Um, anyway, we'll, you know, I think we'll discuss these things as, as we come through it. But with the special edition in 2003, so that's a collector's edition, there's a fourth disc which has the Knowing Knowing Me Knowing You uh, spoof documentary and a bonus bit of content which is In Conversation with Steve Coogan. So this is a Radio 4 show from March 2001. Uh, So In Conversation was a Radio 4 show that ran from 93 to 2003 with Paul Jackson interviewing comedians. Um, so I'd just rifle through some of the highlights. It's quite an interesting chat, really. And I'd say from the off, Coogan sounds really relaxed and unguarded in the interview. Um, they talk about, and it's kind of just talking about his career overall. And obviously a lot of this is focused on Partridge. Uh, Coogan says, I like to do stuff that's accessible to people. I like when people slap me on the back in a pub and say, I really like you, you're dead funny. But it's also nice when clever people think it's good to deconstruct as well. So quite like, like us. Well, yeah, ex- exactly that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was like projecting to the future for my yeah, yeah. Um He also mentions he went to drama school with John Thompson, which I didn't know. But okay. it, to be honest, it may be an easily distracted and I've forgotten. And it explains the, uh, the Max Beasley connection yes, uh, later on. It does indeed. In, in the TV series. Um, so when they get onto the gestation of the Alan character, he talks a bit about on the hour and how the whole team would talk about Alan and they, they'd kind of him as a character. The idea of that would amuse them and they'd talk about things like where does he go shopping? So just for fun amongst the cast, they were kind of fleshing out the character as they went. 
Uh, and when I think Marber originally pitched the idea for KMKY to Coogan, he wasn't sure if it would work. Um, quote from Coogan here, he wasn't sure if it could sustain half an hour. And he also talks about when they did the original pilot at Paris Studios, he dressed as Alan for the first time. So he went over to Lily White's just over the road and bought himself a Pringle sweater and the like. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, so um a quick note on um, the Paris Studios, which I must admit I wasn't um, overly familiar with. Uh, but it's in low- I'd, I'd never heard of it until d- doing research on this. Yeah, so it's um, in Lower Regent Street in London and um, was in use by the BBC uh, radio from 1946 to 1995. Um, it's a relatively kind of small uh, capacity, so a- an intimate setting uh, and played home to such famous shows as I'm Sorry I Haven't Got a Clue, um, radio versions of the likes of Dad's Army, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which were all kind of um, recorded there. Uh, and there were also live performances from bands such as uh, The Beatles, Jody Mitchell, Queen and Pink Floyd. So he was very much in a, you know, setting that I think he'd be comfortable with uh, uh, playing to such lofty um, talent. There was an interview uh, last year with Patrick Marber as well when they re-released uh, this on vinyl for the first time. I think it was for Record Store Day because they're, uh, they're getting to the point now where there's hardly... Well, there, was, there, was, there was a Record Store Day thing which was... Sorry, I spent far too much time digging yeah. into the physical format. There's a Record Store Store Day release that was one one vinyl disc that was just two episodes, one and each. And then there was a whole box set. Oh, okay. That so followed. that's what this Marble thing is for. So, yeah, so he was interviewed on comedy.co.uk. Obviously, he played a huge part in, in, in the radio shows and, and plays a lot of the guests. Uh, and he said that uh, it was amazing to work on the project. We wrote it as we went along with two week gaps, he thinks, between recordings at the old Paris studio. The venue was beautiful and special. All the radio greats had played it. So it felt BBC official and like we were part of a long tradition just by being there. It was very hard work and we did a lot of last minute rehearsing on the day. It was one of the best times of my life. I'm very glad I wasn't too callow to appreciate that at the time. I think it's interesting hearing that as well because I don't know if anyone else agrees, but and I don't see it as a criticism, but it does, from a production perspective, sound a little bit rough around the edges. It, it doesn't mm, sound perfect. Yeah. Like I said, it's not a criticism, but you can kind of hear that there's maybe a little bit of that that comes through in the performance and the production. Um, yeah, and I think that's probably also just audio production standards in the early 90s being very different to what is possible now. 
I think it's really interesting the the dynamic between everybody as well at this point because when you read interviews with like Armando Inucci or, or kind of other members of the cast and stuff, it does feel like everybody at the time it seems were were fairly supportive of each other. And mm. I guess this is an interesting point in in Alan history and in kind of Coogan comedy history in that he'd been part of an ensemble cast. There was no guarantee during on the hour that it would be Alan Partridge of all of those characters that would kind of dominate. And I suppose this for the first time is where potentially other people in the cast, Patrick Marber or, or Rebecca Front, could have had a bit of a hump about, you know, why isn't it why isn't it my character? Mm. Why is it Peter O'Hanra, Hanra, Hanra? Yeah, <laughs> I do think we'll come on to it when we talk about the episodes. I do think that, that knowing me, knowing you on the radio, although we're calling it a solo Alan project, there is still a lot of emphasis on the guests as mm. rounded characters. And it isn't that dissimilar from an ensemble cast where everyone's mm. got mm. equal yeah, yeah. billing. Um, but it is the first point where kind of Steve Coogan's elevated above the, focus, the people he works it? with all the time. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that that, that dynamic exists there. I also wonder why um, Chris Morris wasn't involved in this particularly, because you, you, did you say that Marba pitched the idea of well, the chat show to Coogan? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I think this is a really interesting point, and I think it tells you a lot about how Partridge history developed. So Marba was the one that came to Coogan saying we should do this Partridge chat show vehicle, and Coogan wasn't sure. And I think then people, then like the group that was kind of Coogan, Yanucci, and Bainham, Peter Bainham wanted to do the I'm Alan Partridge sitcom, it was Marba that said he didn't think that would work. Yeah. Because that's why yeah, then yeah. he's that he's then not involved with Partridge from that point. Yeah. So it's really interesting how mm. you've got these kind of disagreements about what will and won't work. Yeah. And it does seem like with the best will in the world, there is a there is a, a, hopefully it seems a, a lack of ego and a genuine camaraderie between all of these people who have mostly gone on to work together or at least kind of speak fondly of each other. I mean, certainly Rebecca Front, you know, has mm, gone on yeah. to, to, to appear in, well, every good comedy there's ever been, but also like... All right, Adam, most, calm down. <laughs> most Partridge projects, um, yeah. I, I get the impression that I think Steve Coogan and Patrick Marber did have a bit of a falling out. I but, was about to say that. I, I think they did. I feel like it may not even be about anything specific. I think it's just like growing a bit distant, probably because he wasn't on board with I'm Alan Partridge as a project. So then obviously then things were quite divergent. Also, I think Marber not ha saying he had ideas above his station is wrong, but obviously bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry. He wanted to be a playwright. He mm. didn't want to be mm. an actor. Yeah, yeah. As we, as we spoke about when we did know me, knowing you the TV show, the death of Forbes McAllister, that's his last, um, proper mm. sort of yeah. acting mm. role apart from, I think train driver in, uh, mission impossible Two. <laughs> but there is some confusion whether that's actually David Schneider and mission David, impossible. Yeah. David, Schneider. Well, David yeah. Schneider is, is the train driver in mission, mission impossible one. Definitely. Oh yeah. But in mission impossible. Oh, two, God, are we getting down here? Sorry. Oh, yeah, so do we do, do, do we do, do just do Schneider podcast impossible? <laughs> yeah. Can, can I tell you more about in conversation with Steve Coogan? Instead? Go on then. Yes. Um, there are some interesting tits bits that come through with him talking about Kim Ki Wap and then I'm Alan Partridge also. So with Kim Ki Wap, he said that in terms of the guest characters, they were poking fun at contemporary life and public figures by inventing characters who reflected people in the media who particularly annoyed us. Alan Partridge might be an idiot, but a lot of people he interviews are bigger idiots than he is. That's quite an interesting point. Mm -hmm. And then he talked uh, towards the end of the interview about I'm Alan Partridge. And one of the reasons he thinks they... They preserved the quality by doing so few shows. Obviously, as we know, there are only 12 episodes of that. There was a discussion about another series of Knowing Me, Knowing You, the TV show. Um, but Miss Merton had come along by that point. So they wanted to change the agenda, hence doing the sitcom idea. And he then talked about 
how they came up with some of the ideas and kind of like researched the setting for the character. So the team went and stayed a night in a travel lodge type hotel to take notes. And there was one thing he talks about. The hotel had the Sebastian Co. Health Club, which he thought was very partridge. Uh, he said, talks about how boring detail became the fascination for it. Um, and also the interviewer asks him, where did the idea of monkey tennis come from? And as Coogan talks about, the, the idea being that the last idea pitch needs to get more desperate, the final pitch should be two words, and he credits Peter Bainham with coming up with the monkey tennis idea. Um, and the last note from this really is, it's quite interesting about the timing of the interview, because it's 2001. So at this point, Coogan's only just started Baby Cow. He's only just started working with Rob Ryden. Uh, and also, there's a very uh, there's a vague nod to a plan for Alan's return, which obviously didn't come to fruition quite i would say but at the end coogan says uh in reference to series one of i'm alan partridge he was at the bottom of the heap last time and it was so sad i think alan will be doing slightly better fortunately we'll have dealt him quite a good hand next time round. i don't think that's an accurate summarization of i'm alan partridge series two really but it's interesting to see how that's originally what they were talking about In the process of going far too deep in research, I also managed to find the original Radio Times listings for the Radio 4 shows. I How? Cool. <laughs> well, there, there, there's this thing called the Genome Project, where basically what the BBC have done is they've uploaded the text from each edition of the Radio Times from 1923 wow. to 2009. So it's a goldmine of pointless original broadcast information. Can I say, <laughs> when I first heard the words Genome Project, I was expecting something with a loftier goal than yeah, just I, preserving I, the Radio <laughs> Times. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd, odd choice, title, isn't it? But... Um, yeah, pointless original broadcast information. So this is the sort of stuff that we're here to cover. Yep, this is absolutely. what Monkey Tennis was made for. Yep. Um, so looking at Know Me Knowing You Radio 4, I thought it was interesting. The first episode is described as classic chat from on the hour Supreme Sports reporter and his guests from the world of theatre, politics and emotional tragedy. <laughs> so two questions. How can it already be classic chat? That's the first episode. And would you really describe a guest as being from the world of emotional tragedy? <laughs> I guess it's always interesting with uh, TV listings guides to what extent it's written as if you're inside the APU mm. or whether they are clearly telling you that it's a spoof. Uh, it doesn't seem like they are mm. here. It's, they're, 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 it's almost a description that Alan could have written. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. The description for the final episode is different. Um, so this one says, the last programme in the series, raw emotion, sleek sofas and hilarious anecdotes from on the hour Supreme Sports reporter Alan Partridge. See, that's very different from the first one. That yeah, doesn't sound like it's written by Alan or in the world, in the APU. Yeah, but what I also think is interesting, if you didn't know he was a character, you would just think yeah. that was a chat show. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't know, would you? Um yeah, and it's interesting that this aired on radio... Well, I say it's interesting. It's not that interesting. This aired, The Radio 4 schedule, this actually aired after the 6 o'clock news. So it was 6 o'clock news, Kim Kiwap at 6.30, another news bulletin at 7, and then the Archers at 7.05. See, I'm kind of staggered that it was broadcast at 6.30 yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's swearing in this, isn't there? That's interesting. But Radio I think. 4 have that weird thing where you can oh, say it's things, art. Yeah, you can... <laughs> like, you know, you listen to like the news quiz and somebody will say, like, piss or... Fanny like, hair. Yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Big balls. And just to get even more uh, definitely interesting with this and not boring. <laughs> the, De definitely de definitely interesting. interesting. Again, going into the Radio Times Genome Project, the listings for Knowing Me Knowing You with uh, TV, nothing really that interesting, but I did like the fact that it just casting my mind back to Kim Q App TV, 1994. It was on air around the time of The Ozone, Red Dwarf. There was a show called The Longest Walk that was on air before the first episode of Knowing Me Knowing You TV. The longest walk description is thus. Setting off across Spain on the last leg of her round-the-world walk, Fiona Campbell is alone except a mule to carry her equipment. So I thought that is basically the setup for Nomad, but just with a bonus animal. Okay. Um, and then 1997, 
Uh, I'm Alan Partridge. Series one, episode one was today's choice, and it was described as thus. Lovely Steve Coogan. He never overstays his television welcome. (laughs) And when he does appear, you can always expect quality. Here he revives Alan Partridge, previously of the spoof chat show Know Me Knowing You, in a sort of comic documentary series. Partridge is a Radio Norwich DJ and desperate for his TV show to be recommissioned. He has driving gloves and the clothes your father wears. He sings Killer Queen to himself. He has a dry skin problem, would vote raving Tory, and has absolutely no social graces. I've been working like a Japanese prisoner of war, he quips obliviously. Partridge is the sort of man you'd cross the road to point at. Television needs him. Interesting that they describe it as a document, oh, a documentary. I think uh, at that point, yeah. I wonder if they almost, because it was quite new and they just didn't really know how to kind of yeah, like like sum it up and describe it. That's the closest format to what yeah. it actually Yeah, because it was kind of like a fly. I think it's before even mockumentary as a term was in use. Yeah. Fly on the wall was more the term that was used. Mm. I think st- there's, mm. we talked about this, I'd there was a Clive, I'd Clive James s- or Clive Anderson interview where he talks about there being a camera crew following him around. I still have said it was more of a sitcom than documentary, but fine. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, yeah, ab- yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think it's they, they tried to kind of, create that conceit in the APU because the way it's sometimes filmed feels a bit like that. But I suppose yeah. like, yeah, when they're chasing him away from jet or they're yeah. following him away from Jed Maxwell's house, that does feel like he's being filmed, but there's yeah. no awareness as a camera there, is mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Uh, and just uh, a bit more on 1997 TV, uh, cause I know Jed will like this also in 1997, Jonathan Creek started and Red Dwarf returned after a three year absence. Jonathan uh, Creek and Red Dwarf, two of my absolute favourites yeah. there. And the show that aired before the first uh, I'm Alan Partridge episode was a repeat of the first ever Nevermind the Buzzcocks from 1996. Because obviously this was in the days when TV shows repeating a show a year after would still be an appointment to view. Uh, that featured Mark Lamar, Sean Hughes, Phil Jupiter, Bruce Dickinson, Richard Fairbrass, Donna McPhail and Matthew Priest from Dodgy. Sounds like uh, a great lineup. An absolutely stellar lineup from the 90s. I met Matthew Priest from Dodgy. He's a lovely guy. So he's not Dodgy? No. He let me up on stage to sing one of their songs on my 17th birthday. If it's good enough yep. for you. And I was good drunk. Enough for and them. I forgot the words. <laughs> uh, and then when I got kicked off stage, he gave me a tambourine. And then I bashed it all the way through the gig until he had to motion to me to stop. Because it was ruining <laughs> all the songs. And uh, was it you that was a fan of Richard Fairbrass as well? What? Right, from Fred. Right Said Fred? Yeah. Uh, pretty sure I bought the album. Yeah. Yep. Guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so just to bring it back to uh, Kim Kiwap Radio, uh, question to the group, had anyone listened to these before starting the research for this series? I have to say I had not. Yes. No. In 2001, approximately. Right. I'd never heard of them before, so this was a new experience for me. You'd never heard of them? I'd never heard them before. It was a new experience for me. Uh, yeah, and we just uh, had, uh, when, we, we, when we put out that um, we were going to be covering this, we had a couple of people message us on Twitter. So we had Gareth Williams say, uh, I first read about Alan in a profile in the Sunday Times magazine, then bought the Radio 4 show on cassette from WH Smith. This was before it went to TV, so 1993 maybe. And then um, Phil Ms, I hope I said that correctly, on Twitter says, um, I got into the series via Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, discovered that show, listening to it on Radio 4 in a tent in the rain, got the cassette of Series 2, which featured a leaflet of other Radio 4 programmes, including Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge. Got the tape of that, only two episodes, and that's how it started. Um, Imagine finding out about something from a leaflet. Yeah, nuts. Um, That used to be the thing, isn't it? You'd get like a whole catalogue of like our other releases. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess it's time to go into a little bit of character background, which I've sort of covered oh, off. Yes. So a bit of contextualization of where Alan is. So obviously this has been farmed from um, from I Partridge. Uh, so a quick recap. 
Um, he's been doing eight years of hospital radio at St. Luke's in Norwich. Uh, he moves to in-store radio for a branch of R Price. In 1988, he's the local sports reporter at Saxon Radio in Bury St. Edmunds and is then poached by Radio Broadland in Great Yarmouth. Harewood Radio in Peterborough, Radio Orwell in Norwich, and finally Radio Norwich. Then the famous section, or the, the really good section in iPartridge, where he's doing the archery commentary. Uh, that ah, apparently yes. that puts him on the radar, and his he joins his big break, and he joins on the hour on Radio Four, which then transfers to TV. Alan has his own chat show commissioned for Radio 4 and he initially thinks and assumes that it's going to be on the TV. Uh, he then goes to BBC Television <laughs> yeah. Centre and is told that it's actually going to be on the radio. So that's how Alan came to be uh, presenting this Radio 4 show. What I like is that that is a very believable career trajectory. Yeah, like, yeah you, it's you, solid. There's nothing there that you think that's that's not plausible. That could all actually have happened. Wow, that's a pretty comprehensive um, review. I think that pretty much wraps uh, things up, unless anyone has anything else they want to add. Uh, no, so that's your primer, your amuse-bouche, if you like, for the <laughs> Knowing Me, Knowing You radio series, and we'll be kicking off next week with episode one. Uh, you can get in touch with us. In the meantime, if you've got any thoughts or opinions about the radio uh, series or Alan in general, thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, at thepartridgepod on Twitter, at monkeytennispod on Instagram, and the Monkey Tennis hotline is 07923 We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but if not please do tune in anyway next week when we'll be covering Knowing Me Knowing You the radio show episode one and I must warn you in the cut and thrust of a podcast people are going to get chat thanks and goodbye goodbye oh, guys I've got some more Radio Times listings no, 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 no goodbye Jed fade it out fade it out fade it out fade it out Jed fade it fade it now welcome to Knowing Me Knowing You Knowing Me Alan Partridge Knowing You the audience I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knightson. Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a tip? Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate less tennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs. Lord Morgan. If you speak again, I'll physically hit you and on that bombshell monkey tennis thank goodness it's radio i never thought i'd say that imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.